Hey, Wayne. Hey, Jeff. What are you doing here? Another guest appearance? Yeah, something like that. Uh, I'm actually the guest co-host for this episode. <laughs> you are? I don't know if you know, but I'm the co-host around here. Whatever you say, Wayne. Hey, uh, hey, Wayne, can I show you something in this room over here? Sure, what? Well, it's, it's a little dark in there, but if you head to the back, there's a, a man on the moon over in that corner. You like man on the moon, don't you? Yeah, yeah, you like those. Uh, just wander back a, l- a little deeper, a little further. Back there. There you go. Jeff, Jeff, I can't get out of this room. It's game in. Jeff, Jeff, what the f*** is game in? Welcome to another episode of Records Revisited, a podcast dedicated to the magic of music. I'm your DJ, your MC, the host on the East Coast. I'm Ben Montgomery. My typical co-host, Wayne, has this episode off, but I'm joined by a familiar voice. He was most recently on our Toad the Wet Sprocket Dulcinea episode, as well as our single soundtrack episode and the Essential Wilco Songs episode. And he's the man who remembers when Rock was young, and he's the man who loves that crocodile rock here is my co-host from the left coast jeff johnson hello good morning everybody all right so for this episode we are joined by a singer songwriter whose debut solo record is entitled magnetic moves it was just released a few weeks ago she was formerly in the band Houndmouth, and yep that's her beautiful vocals on harmony on the band's most popular song sedona and darlin and among other songs. So please welcome to the podcast, Katie Tupin. Hello. So we're excited to have you on the podcast. And when I told Jeff that I was going to have you on this podcast, Jeff kind of interjected and told me that he needed to be the co-host for this episode. So he um, he locked Wayne in a closet, essentially, for this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I locked him in there and put uh, Toto's Africa on repeat and gave him Man on the Moon and then we're good. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> I wanted to be on this podcast because I, I loved Houndmouth and Little Neon Limelight. Um, I'm the one who I think was crowing about it to you, Ben, that eventually got you to the point where you were listening to it as much as I was. Well, thank you. Yes. Uh, Houndmouth was the, the band I wouldn't shut up about in 2015. You know, that 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 guy. Yeah, the guy, it, that guy who it, keeps it all, talking. It all went pretty well so because, you know, of that that sort of mentality. Yeah, that was my that was my number two favorite, uh, second favorite album of the year that year behind the Decemberists. Uh, what a terrible world! What a beautiful world! But it 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 beat a Wilco album and Elvi's Return to the Moon for me. So it's really really high praise for me. If anything that beats a Wilco album is pretty great. Wow, that that says a lot. I don't think it won that that battle, but thank you. <laughs> I <laughs> I get it. I still I I love that. I love it. I listened to it again last night to uh, to get ready for this. So. Uh, I was excited. I was excited to get a chance to to talk to you. Yeah, well, I'm really glad that you're on here. Excellent. So, uh, so premise of our podcast fairly simple. We talk about music, but as we do at the beginning of our podcast, I have to ask the all important question. So we'll start with you, Jeff, because um, since you're you 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 have preempted Wayne being on this episode, I think you're going to owe him a T-shirt or something. So we'll start with you. 
So what T-shirt are you wearing? Well, I'm continuing my theme when I come on the podcast of trying to wear T-shirts that'll make you feel bad. Thank you. Um, and so uh, today I have on my uh, Fleetwood Mac uh, live at the uh, Forum shirt from last December. I know that uh, that's your favorite album, and uh, I figured I'd rub it in. Uh, that's that's just how we how we roll. You're running out of T-shirts to rub in, though. I, I'm running out of T-shirts. I got to find some other great concerts to go to that you uh, don't have access to in Florida. That's kind of that's now my new motivation. Um, and I'm yeah. So there's that. All right. Well, Katie, how about you? What T-shirt are you wearing? I've got on my Black Pumas shirt. I played a show in Dallas a couple weeks ago with the Black Pumas, and that band is just fantastic. And uh, I was going to buy a shirt, and they gave me a shirt because. You know, they're nice, but, um, but yeah, it, that band is so good. The Black Pumas. There we go. little promotion for the Black Pumas going on. There we go. That's good. Uh, so I am, uh, I'm wearing a non, uh, music t-shirt. So I was stuck in a hotel for a couple of days this week, training for the new job. And I got to watch a, a documentary on Chris Farley. So I pulled out my SNL Chris Farley t-shirt, uh, where he was dressed up as one of the Gap Girls. Um, if you remember the the, the Gap Girls, uh, the David Spade and Adam Sandler skit, and it's uh, "Lay Off Me, Man, I'm Starving" T-shirt. So, and that <laughs> and that that is pretty much where I'm where I'm at right now because um, I didn't have a very good breakfast, so I am kind of hungry. <laughs> so uh i do have to first say to, to to katie so i do have a bone to pick with you because you did a t-shirt giveaway on twitter but because i don't mm-hmm. use twitter um i mm-hmm. didn't 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 get in on that on that action so um and then on instagram you did a, a t-shirt giveaway on that and you didn't pick me for that either so <laughs> well how about i just send you some t-shirts there we go i like that <laughs> I feel like that's fair. Perfect. You have to wear them on the podcast. I will proudly wear that on the podcast. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, so going back to, to, to Jeff's discussion about, uh, about Houndmouth. So we had an opportunity to see you all at the Grammy museum in October of 2015. I just happened to be in Cali for, for some business and really enjoyed it. One of the things that really drew, I think, well, I'll speak for myself. Jeff can can chime in uh, uh, on this, but one thing I, that I bet I know what you're going to say, and I I agree. I agree. The, the harmonies drew me in. Yep. Yes. Yeah. And and you've channeled a few of those harmonies throughout your new record. So let's let's talk magnetic moves because, for instance, real love, I thought really has some 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 nice harmonies on it is that you on the harmonies with a little overdubbing or did did somebody help you with the the harmonies on that on the low harmonies yes the lower yeah that's me okay so and and in fact on that song um that whole like spoken bridge part of the song that was a harmony that i had recorded underneath um sort of a lead line and then i was like let's take the lead line out because that's just way cooler um so yeah, I did a lot of the harmonies uh, on it. There's no one like you. Hey baby, let's work this out. I got a little money, let's go down south. I wanna see the world. Besides you now, days run cold without you around. 
Very cool. And the talking part, were you were you trying to channel a little Patsy Cline or something on that one? Well, it was really just a harmony that worked well. Um, so it's kind of song. It's kind of song, even though it's spoken. And um, just because it's such a low register, it just sounded and rhythmically, it just sounded. It was just spoken. It wasn't wasn't something that was super planned. But I always like that stuff. Yeah, it's great. So you're living now in California, is that correct? That's right. And based off of the talking part, so I will say that you're in Cali, but you haven't completely lost that Kentucky drawl of yours. Oh, no, uh, that, that, that can't go away. <laughs> my, my mom's from like southeastern Kentucky. So, you know, I can kind of like it kind of goes away when, when I'm not around people that are southern. But right the moment I step back into Kentucky or the south, it's just it's full on. Yeah. And I hear a little bit of that country in the, the, the song As Good As It Gets. It seemed seriously autobiographical by the tone of the song. So, you know, who, who'd you write that song for? Oh, man. Next. <laughs> next, <laughs> next question. Oh, Homer. His name is Homer. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, what I like about the, the album is that it really feels like it's a record. Um, and I know that that that's not where a lot of artists are going these days with, you know, the, the, the whole Spotify throwing out the singles. And and so there's there's really not a whole lot of focus on like records and sequencing. And and I felt like your record really, really did work as far as the, the sequencing. For instance, you followed the previous song that I just talked about, which is really totally somber. And then you follow it up with I Need You, which is a little more upbeat. I said it's about as upbeat as I get. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was just going to say, I don't think the lyrics are exactly upbeat. Well, that's the, the song itself is peppy. That's the thing I found interesting about a few of your songs is that there's, there is some upbeat feel. And then when you dive into the lyrics, you're like, oh, that's kind of, that's really pretty heavy. Uh, magnetic moves <laughs> right off the bat. Yeah. Yeah, I do that. Um, you know, I, I'm friends with um, Dennis Quaid and Dennis and I were talking because Dennis is a songwriter and he um, and he is making all kinds of stuff and he writes really happy stuff. And I looked at him, I was like, all your songs are happy. And he was like, yeah. And I was like, I've never written a happy song in my whole life. <laughs> So it's something that I probably should work on. It's just easier for me, I think, to dive into those those emotions in that space and say something that feels real and feels true. I wouldn't say that I'm like an unhappy person or anything or anything like that. I mean, if you if you get to come to a show, the shows are always kind of funny and 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 lighthearted between the songs. But um, but it's just to me, that's just sort of the sweet spot of of my strengths, you know. 
So I do need to ask you about I Need You since we're, we're on that uh, on that particular song. So you released a video on your Facebook page of you playing that song on your bus with somebody who is playing the guitar. Who Who is providing vocals and guitar work on that particular video? Bandmate? On the video. It's uh, my my touring uh, partner, uh, Michael Chavez. Okay. He, um, Michael's a, Michael's a, he's been around for a while. He, he was John Mayer's guitar player. He was, he produced, helped uh, produce that Leonard Cohen record and um, performed on that one that, you know, that won a Grammy. And he, he's, he's kind of done a ton of stuff. And I was lucky enough to have him out on the road with me. And, um, and we had this sort of duo situation, but he, you know, the live show, you know, he's playing drums and guitar at the same time. And I'm playing all kinds of different things so that we could make it sound like a full band without having a full band. It was pretty cool. Hey, it worked for the white stripes, right? Yeah, it sure did. (laughs) (laughs) But that, so that video, beautiful rendition, and I haven't been able to see you live. You haven't come down here to Florida yet. So, you know, please put that on your tour list. Um, But beautiful rendition of the two of you. And, 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 like I like I said, I'm already a sucker for the harmonies. I think where I'm at with music these days is I'm always looking for those those goosebump moments. And I got goosebumps on that video. I got to tell you because I heard I heard a vulnerability on that version um, that I don't think is completely captured on the record version. So how yeah. how do you find a balance of showing people? that that honesty but still keeping the mantra of like i'm in charge i'm katie I'm, i got this oh i don't know <laughs> um yeah it's it's a it's a balancing act i mean you know i'm i'm i it's difficult it's sort of difficult to answer um you know it's it there's different phases of things um so when I'm writing something or whatever, I'm sort of in a different space. I'm not around a bunch of people. I can sort of let myself go there. And so the, and when I show it to other people and when I'm performing it or whatever, I'm sort of still attached to the space that I was when I wrote it. And I can sort of easily channel that, but, but it don't, it doesn't like carry, I don't carry it around with me all the time. Yeah. You know, you're not thinking about it. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, sometimes I am, you know, sometimes it's difficult. Um, there were a few, you know, uh, teared up moments on tour in the last couple months, you know, where it's, where I just really allowed myself to go to where the song was. And, and sometimes it, sometimes it's, you just allow yourself to go there. Um, but you don't, you know, you don't carry it around with you all day. (laughs) Right. Right.
Katie, I, I'll try not to fanboy too much on it, but I, I really, uh, I'm digging Magnetic Moves a lot. I've been listening to it a lot to prepare for this. Um, I think there's a lot of shades in here that kind of tell me how vital you were to the sound of Houndmouth. Uh, I really pick up on that a lot. There's things where I hear, um, you know, shades of Otis or gasoline or something like that, definitely in your, in your vocals, but in the writing style. Um, so I, I'm picking up that, but it's definitely your own thing. Uh, I love, uh, run to you. Hills are calling is fantastic. Uh, and I think back in time really does a nice job of describing your vocal style as well. Just that, that, and again, a hint of gasoline, this, uh, the idea that, that maybe this isn't, uh, if this is the, the best time, then maybe you belonged somewhere earlier. Um, does that fit your vocal style in, in terms of describing it and kind of an earlier throwback style? Can you rephrase that question? I, I mean, do you, do you, do you, uh, I hear when I listen to your vocals, I hear almost like an old soul kind of a quality to the way that you sing. It's not like, yeah, yeah it's not like, um, just, uh, a vocalist trying to hit notes, I guess is what I'm, what totally. I'm hearing. Yeah. You know, I, I've never really been interested in like, um, singers that are just like, well, look what I can do. You know, it, right, doesn't, right. it doesn't do it for me. So I've never really been attracted to, you know, imitating that in any way. And so when I was sort of developing how I sang in the first few years, um, I was doing this, I sort of hid away for a couple of years. I was 18, 19 years old and, and just listened to a lot of stuff and imitated a lot of stuff. And I was drawn to, um, you know, the Patsy Cline thing or the Otis thing. And I was drawn to these other singers that, um, just really emoted something, that spoke to me. And so I think, you know, now I'm not like conscious of how I sing or, or whatever. I just sing how I sing. Um, uh, at this point, you know, I've been doing it for a long time. So, um, but yeah, I think that you're probably spot on with sort of where that comes from. Um, you know, I don't, I'm not going to like sort of hit a note unnecessarily just be, to show you that I can do it because if there's no purpose to, to hitting that note, then there's, you know what I mean? I hear that. And that's, and that's when I, sometimes when I hear singers that are doing that, it feels like an empty experience to me. It doesn't feel like this really alive and vibrant kind of quality that I'm hearing with what you're doing is your, your, your sound is a little more fluid and it feels like it's less important to hit a particular note and just get a feel. Um, it kind of, it kind of reminded me a little bit, and that's the other reason I wore this t-shirt. I mean, you're not, it doesn't sound like a knockoff or anything, but in, in a similar way to a Stevie Nicks, or I heard like a little Belinda Carlisle or, uh, Patsy Cline, those sorts of things where it was just more kind of a feeling. Yeah. And I think that's what the purpose of a voice should be for, at least for the type of stuff that I make. I know that lots of different music is lots for, for lots of different reasons, but, um, you know, I can't do anything other than be exactly who I am, especially now as a solo artist. It's like, I just have to be me. And so, and that's a really hard thing to, to be. It's taken me a little while to wrap my head around what that is and who that is. And going back to, um, you know, I made an album. I didn't just put out a few singles. I thought it was a really important move because I need to be like, okay, this is who I am. This is a moment in time. This is an identity um, rather than here's a song. Um, and you know, moving forward, it's like, that gives me so much space to say, okay, well, here's this song and here's this song and here's this song. But having had created an album that has, um, all the colors that I identify with, it sort of, it sort of creates a foundation, if that makes sense. 
It, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, I, I relate really well to what you're saying in terms of a voice and being comfortable going, this is just what I do as a, as a stand-up comic. Uh, I'm eight years into it, and it's the same thing where I'm, I'm finally comfortable just being who I am and not listening to everybody else tell me what the structure is supposed to be. Uh, and that's what I hear in your vocals is that, that thing where you, just, you sound at ease just doing what you do and going, you like it or you don't, but I, this is where I'm really comfortable. And I, I, really, I think it comes through as very genuine. So it's working. Well- well, thank you. <laughs> that's interesting. I didn't know that you were a stand-up comic. I have a friend out there that's a, a stand-up comic that I'm actually um, t- kind of top secret, but I'm talking about it on a podcast. I'm, I'm sort of making a, a short film with her, and she's writing it. It's pretty cool. Nice. Yeah. And and voice is a big thing for a stand-up comic, too, trying to figure out, like, who am I on stage? Am I a character? Am I myself? Is, you know... Um, yeah, so. I was just watching some of her videos and I thought, man, I mean, it's such a similar thing because you're channeling these emotions and the emotions are a little, they're a little different, but it's all coming from that same place, you know, and it's the more she was herself, the more the audience would respond and the less she was thinking, the more the audience would respond. And, and it's the same thing, I think, with making music. It's like the less you're thinking and the more you're just doing and feeling and, you know, the more you perform sometimes, the more detached the audience feels, the more you just kind of bare your heart, you know, just lay it all out there and are really earnest. Uh, that's when they're in. They're like, oh, this is interesting now. So, yeah, they're going to buy in immediately. It's pretty, it's pretty cool. I really love um, all the aspects of, of doing this. You know, I love performing and I love connecting with people and I love seeing what works and seeing what doesn't work and trying different things. I think it's all so fascinating. So we're not going to hear any of you trying to channel Mariah Carey or anything on any of your shows. Is that what you're saying? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> That's good. So so, so tell me about the process for you for writing music. Because you do have a lot of songs that, you know, alternate between what I would say are probably like more piano type of songs as opposed to, you know, guitar type songs. So. I know that you kind of mix it up between b- between instrumentation and and a little bit of styling. So where do you typically write? Well, I typically write with what's over in front of me. Um, my mom's, there's a piano. So a few of those songs were actually written here because there's a piano here. Um, but a lot of the songs were written on guitar. And I write, I've writ- I wrote the whole thing alone, um, which I, you know, I thought was, really important for me to do but yeah you know it's just whatever's in front of uh, in front of me and I didn't feel um particularly attached I don't feel particularly attached to this is the type of instrumentation that I use um you know this is who this is who I am based on the instrumentation because to me it's all about well it's all about the song you know and so you know you might hear from me you know in a year or two you might hear um I don't know like a banjo song. And then you might hear like something with an electronic thing behind it, because to me, it's, it, it, it's whatever color fits the mood and fits me um, in the moment to write the song. So going back to the record though, I, I wrote most of it on guitar. Um, and, and that was important because all these songs and the way I write songs is that if a song doesn't work acoustically with the, the bare minimum, then it doesn't yeah. work. You know, if if you need all the production and you need all that stuff, then to me, that's not going to be a a great song, you know? So that's just how I write. That's sort of like my boundaries with things. It's like, 
you got to be able to somebody told me once play it one on one string of a ukulele and if it doesn't work then it's not a good song you know so so on that note with you having you know the choir coming in on lost sometimes which which really adds some 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 nice power to that song it really packs a punch for me but how does that translate on the stage when it's just you and the guitar singing lost sometimes where you don't have Uh, a full-on choir in the background helping you out i can do it (laughs) you know (laughs) i wrote it i wrote it by myself and when i was but on that song in particular i did hear that part while i was writing it yeah um that it was like when i wrote it it was so gospely and like so like uh, you know, it just in that world, it just made so much sense when I wrote that part. But, you know, again, it's like all about uh, how you're performing it and where it's coming from. And if it, if it feels genuine, people will respond to what's genuine. Right. Because there's so little of it in the world. <laughs> you know, it's funny about that, too. And this is going to segue into a little bit. I hope it's okay if I talk about Hamouth a little bit. I'm not trying to get you to say anything or get you in trouble. I, I'm just I'm just sharing kind of what I felt. Um, I loved Little Neon Limelight because of that. It, it felt it felt really earnest and really honest. And then when I found out you were leaving, I was like, oh, crap, this isn't good. I, I felt like it wasn't good right away in terms of the band, not you. Um, but I had a little bit of hope with uh, because of For No One. I thought, well, okay, that's still maybe there, you know, without needing Katie on everything. Um, but I could tell at the time listening to it that you had a lot of the heart and soul of what was going on, or I felt like it was there. And then when I got to the to the next album, um, I definitely uh, felt like uh, this isn't. It just didn't feel as honest or as heartfelt. I guess it was more production based, or or that's how it hit me. And I had trouble with it, except for Modern Love was one song that kind of jumped out that I, I really liked. But um, I felt like a lot of that, that what you're talking about kind of was missing from Little Neon Limelight. Yeah, uh, you know, I get, I'm not really involved in what they're doing now. Right, right. I get it. Now, uh, I will say that, you know, it's an important it's important for the music that I make uh, to, to go there. And I and I don't. um you know, I can't really say too much about, about any of that, but, um, I get it. I get that. But You know, I think lots of artists go through different phases and, um, of self-discovery and sometimes it looks different than you think it might look. And so, um, I do think that Matt is, has the ability to be a really good writer and he has the ability to tap into some stuff, but, um, but yeah, you know, everybody goes through different phases. Well, that's what I hope is I hope that this is a phase towards them evolving into another album that I'm like, oh, I can listen again because that's I do hear it on Modern Modern Love, that one track. But, um, you know, it's just one of those things with uh, I, I definitely felt the input of what I think you were bringing is I think what it comes around to. I think uh, your influence is definitely uh, missed at this point in there. Um, uh, what is it? What was it? How hard is it to leave uh, a band like Hellmouth with the success you guys were experiencing at that time? Is it a is it a big you know, gut wrenching decision or was it just a really, you just knew that's, this is where it needs to go. Yeah. I just, I definitely had to leave. Um, it was definitely the most, there was just sort of no way around that. That was the, that was what was going to happen. Um, but you know, as far as the journey has been, it's been, you know, really fascinating. Um, and you know, I'm still kind of on it because things are just kind of starting again. And, 
uh, at first it was a, it was a process of, well, I thought there might be some team members or like somebody left and there was just kind of nobody there anymore. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, Oh shoot. And so then I thought, well, you know, like I've had all this success. Well, at least a a label or something will get behind me pretty quickly. And, and that hasn't really, that that's not been a thing either. It's sort of been a process of completely having to prove myself over again. And, um, and then, you know, personally, it's been a process of, uh, of writing and figuring out who I am and owning who I am because there was a certain, you know, for there was phases of it, lots of different phases of the growth of it where it was like, well, I want to sound like this or I want to sound like this or I want to sound like this. And um, what it came down to was like, well, this is what I sound like and this is who I am and then owning that. And so that was kind of a long process creatively of writing every day and trying different things and playing with different people and um, kind of formulating and, and re-identifying, regaining my identity. Um, you know, I, I've been in Houndmouth and previously to that for three years, Matt and I had played music together. So basically my whole adult life was wrapped around um, this identity. And I've kind of, you know, I feel like an adult for the first time or something because it's just me and it's just me and who I am. So that was a, that was a really intense journey. Um, and then p- to be able to portray that through an album and then be able to show that to the world. I mean, that's, that's a lot of steps. Yeah. And, and going back to your, to your comment earlier where you said, you know, you, you felt like you needed to write these songs by yourself. Was that really part of the plan of, okay, I've been associated with other people and, and been co-writing with a lot of people. And now I need to prove to myself that I can just do this by myself. Um, it was more, it was more, so, um, there was a lot of, opinions uh going on in the in the writing of what's cool and what's not cool and yada 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 and so it was a process of me getting kind of rid of those voices in my head and deciding what I think is cool and what I like you know without those voices in my head um so I had to do a lot of writing a lot of soul searching and a lot of listening and a lot of stuff. Um, there was a lot of people, uh, when I left that said, well, you gotta go find a producer. You gotta find a producer. You gotta find somebody that to do this with you. Um, which was odd in hindsight. And I think it's sort of this mentality that, you know, it's, I I mentioned that I'm making the short film. It's sort of like, well, why can't I do it alone? Like, why, why is this why is this this precedent that we set that I can't do it alone? And I've been sort of fed that for a very very long time that um, I need I need I need help or I need I need it's just it's kind of weird. And so I kind of thrown that out the window um, and said, well, and I would sit down with these producers or I'd sit down and make a song, and the song just it sounded like um, it just didn't sound right. You know, you just know what sounds right and what doesn't sound right. And it's this very intuitive thing. And you just know. Um, And it wasn't until I started making songs with, um, you know, producing myself. uh, And then I found this guy, Scott Davis, who played all the instruments on the record, where it was like, I tell him what I like. He he interpreted that clearly and performed it. And then it just worked because I was I was in charge. (laughs) You know what I mean? So I think. I think people are constantly waiting on people to help them and waiting on direction and waiting to be told when it's sort of an intuitive thing. Um, 
and then, you know, everybody's different, you know, everybody that's making stuff is different. Uh, but somebody told me recently, they said Picasso didn't co-paint, uh, <laughs> you know, so, so that's just sort of how I feel about it. Now that's not to say I won't collaborate with people and do stuff with people, sure. but at least in this part of my journey and, and in this part of my process, it was really important. Both Jeff and I will, will agree that we really enjoy magnetic moves and, uh, we're, we're, we're really looking forward to, uh, to what else is, uh, is, is coming on that journey that you talk about. Yeah. And I missed, I missed, I missed you June 22nd. I was, I was, uh, traveling back home and I missed that show in LA. So I'm, I'm hoping that there's other shows coming up. I didn't see it on the website, but I'm going to watch. So. Oh, that's such a bummer. Yeah. That was a fun one. <laughs> <laughs> well, now I feel even better. I'll tell you about how much you missed out on it. Right. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, there'll, there'll be plenty more, you know, like I'm in no, it will all be doing this for a long time. That's good. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> and, and do you do some just pop-up shows in LA when you're just working some stuff out ever? I never, no, I don't. I played a couple yeah. over the last couple of years, but no, I, I kind of do everything pretty intentionally. Okay. Yeah. I'll just watch the website then. Just right. keep watching. We're going to announce some, there's a little fall run of shows, but it, we're not doing West coast. There might be something added if it makes sense uh, for the year, but if not, it'll definitely be next year. Why stick to things that make sense? That's <laughs> well. I do just make it up as I go. So good, if, I decide, if I decide that I want to play a show in LA, I'll just do it. <laughs> we'll do it. Hey, let's do a backyard show. I got a backyard. We got a big backyard. Let's do it. I'd do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. That'd be fun. That'd be awesome. All right, okay. Ben. Yeah, we'll get I was you just going to say, please make sure that you invite me. Yeah, yeah, you'd be invited. We could live stream it. <laughs> That's what we should do. We should do a backyard live stream show. There you go. That would be fun. I've got a big, big, big backyard up in Santa Clarita. So, really? Yeah, yeah. Well, after this podcast, we'll chat. Okay, okay. sounds good. Absolutely. Okay. All right. So, so one last question about magnetic moose before we uh, we we jump over to Elton John. So, the song "Run to You." I know that I've got some single men who listen to this podcast, and you've got a line in there about liking the bad boys. So. <laughs> We're we're gonna give we're gonna give a little advice for for the guys out there. So why why do women like the bad boys? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> you know, uh, it's a, it's something about like getting attention and then it getting taken away from you, and then that that whole mind game of that is so addicting. Uh, it's the worst. I hate it. Like. <laughs> I really, I'm really over it. Like I, I'm, I'm, I'm 30 now and I'm like, you know what? This phase has got to stop, <laughs> but I don't know. It's, it's just, but it is a theme. I will say it's a theme. I, I, I can't really get to the root of it.
Okay. Well, have you have you ever decided to to uh, to do a mashup of your run to you with Brian Adams' song, also called? <laughs> No, but maybe that should happen. Okay, you're welcome for the suggestion. <laughs> I know. I almost renamed it something different. I, you know, but I, it was going to be called Broken Pieces. But then I thought that just sounded like a little too, like, I don't know, '90s '90s girl rock or something. I just didn't like it, so I went with Run to You. And you see, you seem you seem to like to to do some covers too, right? I mean, you've got like Piece of My Heart is a fantastic. That's a great YouTube oh. clip. Yeah, that was uh that was kind of shortly after I left the band. Okay. I wanted to just do something, and um, uh, I had put out online. I said like a contest, like the T-shirt contest sort of thing. And I said, "What song would you like me to do? I'll draw a winner." And I drew that song, and um, roped my friend Daniel Martin Moore into it. There you go. All right. Well, you're welcome for the suggestion. Just give me a shout out when you do it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Oh, I did forget one last question before we jump into uh, into Elton John. So we've been asking all of our guests, and this is this is thanks to 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 Jeff. <laughs> we've been asking all of our our guests. So Toto's Africa, good or bad song? I think good. <laughs> good, okay. good. That's the right answer. That's a hundred percent the right answer. In fact. Um... I think so. on tour, Michael or somebody karaokeed that song. Here, here's the thing, Ben. I think you're asking that question wrong because good or bad is like, what, what does that even mean? I think you need to ask, Toto's Africa, does it make you smile or do you have a black space where your heart should be? Those are the options that you should have. <laughs> Definitely smile. Yes, it makes you smile. It makes you feel good when it comes on. Yeah. All right, I will re- I will rephrase it going so, forward. So, something like that. It has I looked it up. It has 600 million listens on Spotify. That's 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 yeah. a song that makes a lot of people smile. Yeah, that's yeah. that's working. Yes. Yeah. Definitely working. All right. Did did we uh did we ask all the questions that we should have? Did we miss anything that what I should have asked you? I think you I think we talked about a lot of stuff. We did. We did cover a lot of ground. I feel like I'm gonna need a therapy session after <laughs> <laughs> then my job is done here. All right. Uh, all right. So let's jump into Elton John's Tumbleweed Connection. So this is the record that you chose to uh-huh. revisit today. So so give give me a little little uh understanding as to why out of all of his canon, because he's he's got a large catalog, so why Tumbleweed Connection? Uh, well, I think it was a you know going back even into the Hellmouth days, it was sort of an influential record for for you know my journey here and my path. And um, you know, after having picked it, I thought, well, you know, there's only like only like half of these songs that I love. Um, but I do love them. And I think it's so bizarre that, that Elton John made this sort of like Americana, like, I don't know, like very sort of rugged man record because he's like, not necessarily that. And he was like playing that role a little bit. And I think he did it in, you know, he did it in the Elton way, which is like so interesting. And I just like, there's nobody else that does what, or has done what he does. And so I think it's just a really interesting record. It's a, you know, it's a concept, concept album. Yeah. I just think it's a really great record. The song, the songwriting, I think the structures of the songs, uh, it, it really resonates with the things that I gravitate towards. 
So that's that's why. All right. This is a great great thing about your podcast, Ben, and I'll tip my hat to you a little bit, is that uh, you're introducing people to an album that they might not think about because Katie picks it, which is so cool because I, I had never explored this album at all. I wasn't familiar with it and maybe had heard a few of the things, but I really enjoyed diving into this. Uh, I did, this is a side of Elton John that I'm not that familiar with. Uh, and I, I'm definitely in the camp of a very sort of commercial or surface Elton John listener. Um, I like him. I've just never really uh, done much of a deep dive on it. Uh, and this, this album was really interesting to spend a, a couple of weeks, you know, just diving into and listening to all the different things, the structures and things that some things had familiarities with what he was doing. And some things felt like such a huge departure from the Elton John that I know. So uh, I thought that was really cool. Yeah. And and I'm kind of like you, Jeff. I, I am Elton John hit guy. So, so like Elton John's greatest hits volume one and two, I listened to a ton. You know, I found those for like, I don't know, five bucks at a Walmart on a road trip. And I'm like, yeah, I'm in. And those are both chock full of, of hits. The thing that, that I found really interesting as I'm digging through the, the bio info on this record is the record label, they didn't release a single off of this this record, so you're not going to find anything on this on this particular record on any of those greatest hits albums because they weren't hits. And well, and we'll talk about those because I I really feel as though the record label kind of uh, didn't promote this very well. So we'll 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 chat about that as we go through. Cause- what to do with it <laughs> right right yeah. what do you do with this and at the same time it's it sort of feels like um it's not such a big departure from you know like what the rolling stones gravitated towards with you know the, their their interest in um you know the americana the sort of deep south and all, all of that you know that sort of fascination i think that a lot of those um British folks had, you know, and so it's not that far different. So it is kind of strange that they couldn't find a single on it. Yeah, really. Yeah. This, uh, this album kind of makes me really long for a Rick Rubin produced Elton John album, <laughs> like strip, stripped down acoustic guitar, similar to what he did with Johnny Cash and Neil Diamond. Yeah. Uh, Neil Diamond, especially the, you know, the Neil Diamond in particular shows me what he might be cal- capable of with like an Elton John, just like turning him loose to just, bare bones and singing and no, not a lot of production. I think that'd be fascinating. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So if Rick Rubin is listening to your podcast, Ben, um, I would love for him to reach out to Elton John. <laughs> I've been listening to Rick Rubin's uh, podcast that he does with Malcolm Gladwell, and there's no chance he's listening to my podcast. Like he even <laughs> said on some of some of those episodes, he's like, I've, I, I don't remember the last time I listened to License to Ill. Uh, I don't remember the last time I listened yeah. to Wildflowers. He's just not interested in going back yeah. in, yeah. in history. So, yeah. Um, all right, let me get let me get some bio info, and then we'll jump into each of the songs, and we'll we'll, we'll keep riffing about uh, how good this this record is. So, this was released in October of 1970. This was Elton's third studio record. His previous record, the self-titled album, included the singles "Border Song" and "Your Song," which this is interesting. That record, his second record, released in April of 1970. So I don't know if that had something to do with the label not supporting this, that they felt like maybe they were going to give the public too much Elton. I don't, or, or 
that the the structure of this particular record was so different from Border Song and Your Song that they just didn't know how to release a single out of that. So, so like I said, no singles were released from this. And despite no singles released from this record, the album did reach as high as number five on the Billboard Top 200 and finish the year as the 24th highest charting album of the, of the year. So let's go back to that that whole you know thought process. So two thoughts on not releasing a single. I could definitely see a few that that could have easily been released as singles, but do you think that they were just I I don't know, did they just think that there was going to be too much saturation? Did they did they speed up the release of this because they wanted to to cash in for all the Christmas album sales that used to happen in the seventies? I mean, what what are you guys' thoughts on that? Who knows? I think I think you might be you might be you know they had just released a record and this sounded really different from that record and they were probably still really capitalizing on those songs you know and so to me this was a sort of passion project it looks like it was a sort of passion project you know it's a it's a concept album. Yeah, yeah they might have indulged him, uh, but felt like they already had a sound they were ready to get behind. And I think more so then than now, that was probably a, a bigger factor of just trying to keep someone on brand. Um, yeah. When the labels had that much control, it was probably a, a branding issue as much as anything. Like they didn't see him this way, but of course you're Elton John, and uh, we'll yeah we'll let you in, indulge in this, and and yeah. we'll roll with it. All right. Katie, there's no truth to the rumor that you picked this because, uh, you know, Katie Tupin and, and Bernie Taupin is just one letter off. So curious if you're going to make that joke. <laughs> that's how predictable. That's how predictable a stand-up comic I am, Katie. That's a, that's the best that I have available this morning. It's it's early. That's so funny. Yeah, that, like, people say that all the time. Are you? People really will say, "Are you related?" But like, <laughs> no, it's a different last name. Oh. Yeah, it's just spelled differently. Oh yeah. I pronounce mine Tupin, and it's Taupin. His is Taupin, yeah. All right, let's jump into each of the songs. So this is the lead song. This is Ballad of a Well-Known I, I get the benefit of seeing everybody's scores in advance. So, Jeff, t- tell me why this is one of your favorite songs on the record. Uh, well, like you often say, I, I think how you start an album is really crucial. And this is a great start for me. It really sets up the idea of this uh, Western-tinged concept album right off the bat. Uh, I love the imagery of the stagecoach, the Pinkertons, and all that. Uh, I, maybe it's because I'm just now rewatching Deadwood, and so I'm really in that mood. Uh, but I love it. The, it just immediately sent me scrambling down a rabbit hole of uh, you know other things that sound like it. Things like I was listening to the band a lot as soon as I started. I, I got through one song and then I started listening to the band. I didn't even get to the rest of the album because um, this definitely would have fit in with like the weight and up on Cripple Creek. And I just think he really nails the concept he's going for 
maybe the best on this song uh, in that it blends in so nicely with the things I think he's trying to emulate. Yeah, I would totally agree with everything you said. Uh, it was funny when I when I was I knew I was going to be on this podcast, so I was kind of freshening up on the album, and I I started it, and I was like, oh gosh, that's a, that's that's the ten, you know, you know, and then I was like, how am I? Which I you know I didn't end up ranking it as the ten, but I thought, well, there's no way there's going to be a song that's better than this song, you know. Um, that's going to stand out because it's, it's just exactly, he nails it. Um, you know, and I'm just so hook driven. And I think that the hook is so strong in this song and it just sets the stage perfectly for the rest of the record. All right. So let's, let's get some scores then. So Jeff, well, it, it started out as my 10 and then it moved down a couple slots. And then every time I came back to it, I finally ended up at 10. I, I was like, this is the song I keep singing in my head. Uh, it's the one that just just nailed it for me. So this is my ten. Okay, and then Katie. It's my eight. All right, and um, I've got a six on this one because oh, to to, wow. to your wow. point, Jeff, I I do hear some band at, on this. I do see I do hear a little bit of leave on, but that's going to come a little bit later for me, where I really went down the rabbit hole for 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 some of that band uh, uh, sensibility. So. So we'll, we'll 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 hold that for a couple more a uh, couple more songs. All right, let's move on to second song. This is "Come Down in Time." Songs out of tune, a mantle of bright light shone down from a room. Come down in time. I still hear her say. So clear in my Like it was today Come down in time Was the message she gave Come down in time And I'll meet you And uh, did you guys spend any time with the deluxe version of this record? Uh, yeah, a little bit. So there's yeah, a, me too. So there's a piano version of this song on that edition, and I I liked it. I like that. I liked it a little better than this one. I think there's just something there's something about the harp and the strings on this song that that provides a a, a haunting soundscape that is not captured in the in the piano demo version of it though the the big thing for this was the transition to me was so abrupt after the rollicking opening that i just i just was kind of whiplash inducing and for from a sequencing perspective um i have to think that that is a big part of what hurts my score because i like the lyrics but i i couldn't completely get into it um you know after well-known gun and then knowing i was heading into country comfort it just kind of always sort of fell flat for me yeah, I was I'm in the same boat. I think um, it felt a little bit like, well, we have all these these so- these sort of rocking mid tempo songs, and we need something that changes. And so it just seemed like, well, well, this is a song that's different, and it didn't really um, it didn't really connect with me. Uh, I don't think it's a bad song. I just don't think it's a great song by any means. Um, and again, and I'm totally with you on the sequencing. It was like that, this song should have come much later. 
Yeah, I, yeah. I, I could have seen yeah. this following Love Song or even Amarina, but yeah, Ben, you've had you've had a couple of things recently on episodes like Bash and Pop mm-hmm. where you guys talk about transition songs and and the song maybe not being quite as good as the one before it or something to kind of bridge to another really great song, but they still sit at a level I think where it's not quite as harsh of a transition. Yeah, so that's what this did. All right, should we get some scores? So Katie, that was my one, and Jeff. That's my 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 one as well. And guess what? This is my one as well. So we're <laughs> we are matching ones. Uh, yeah, for for me, this was. I even listened to this song just by itself. Like I didn't even listen to the sequencing because I wanted to see if maybe it was the sequencing that was throwing off my score for it. And um, yeah, it still didn't work just by itself. Yeah. yeah. He's written better songs. Um, all right, let's move on to country. I think it's a great song i think i i mean again going back to hooks it's hooky it's it it probably should have followed up ballad of a well-known gun um maybe it was too similar to a ballad of well-known gun um as far as the way it feels and tempo and all that um but i think i mean that's a that's a killing killer yeah. song this is a really great song. This is uh, it gets things rolling again in terms of the concept album feel. Uh, I love the imagery again. The storyteller aspect is right on point. It turns into something that actually kind of really reminds me of like a John Denver song. Um, and and just again the lyrics, uh, the 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 imagery is painting with like he's a horse drawn man until his dying day. I love that fighting against uh, you know progression of uh, convenience or whatever that is as well. It's just a really nice visual. Um, there so this this was another one that could have bounced up my top three all could have interchanged pretty easily to be my top song and and when i heard this song uh i was like i've heard this somewhere before and jeff we've we've talked on the episodes before about how uh my wife is is very much into country music so we don't share a lot of of artists that we like together Keith Urban recorded a cover of this song for his 2004 album. That's where I heard this originally was through Keith Urban. And I think that really speaks to um, how, what, why I gravitate towards this record because it is sort of timeless and it is sort of like interchangeable within genre. I think, I think that makes, that's what's so interesting about it. And, and the songwriting on a lot of these songs is so timeless um, so, uh, that, that kind of doesn't surprise me, but it's, uh, it's cool. And so going back to the comment of no singles were released for this record, how is this song not a single? 
Like you could have easily scaled off like a minute and a half on this. You could have maybe removed the steel guitar because maybe that would be too much for fans of, you know, Elton's Your Song or or whatever with the piano sensibilities. But I don't understand why this wasn't a single. This is a catchy song. Maybe it just didn't fit the vibe of what was going on right then with for Elton. Yes, I, I guess not. I don't, know. I don't I I don't think we're gonna figure it out today. I ben. don't think so either. We could we could call him ask him. <laughs> we could call him. Uh, call him. Let's see if we can get him him and Rick Rubin on the line and uh we'll ask Elton what he was what what happened and then we'll see if we can pair him up. We'll do good things. I would love today. to hear Elton talk about this record. That would make me so happy. It'd be amazing. Well, let's yeah. get some scores because Elton's not going to answer any of our phone calls. So uh so Jeff, what's your score on this? This is my nine. Okay, and I'm matching your nine, and then Katie. It's actually six. Okay, all right. But the, the my top five are like really hard. They were all they're all really interchangeable for me. My top five wouldn't be an episode without our guests saying something of that magnitude. Okay, gotcha. So we we have done our job. Okay. All right. Next song is "Son of Your Father." I'm just going to get started on on this because this is this is my top score. Um, so I'm throwing that out there. So, Jeff, going back to your your mention of listening to the band, this song for me definitely has the band vibes. You've got the the the, the full on band. You got the back background singers as well. Um, this is a full song. This is. This is the the song that I wish that they would have started with, but again, going with the concept record, this is probably you, you know you gotta you gotta follow the the, the storyline, right? Yeah, I um, I think I, I I like where it's at on the album. Um, other than come down in time should have been lifted, but I like getting into it with Battle of a Well Known Gun and then coming to this because I do think it it flows nicely. I love this song a lot too. This this was my number one uh, for a little chunk of time while I was reviewing it. It, like you said about the band, this is another really rollicking uh, tune that would that has a vibe that would fit them for sure. There's some other musicians that I felt like it reminded me of that I could never quite place. I, could, I just couldn't. I was like, I don't know who I'm thinking of. Um, the harmonica is really great in this one. Um, and I looked it up, and according to Wikipedia, it's never been performed live, which seems like a wow. real shame to me. Oh, my gosh. An- I should cover this song. You do? <laughs> I should. I should. <laughs> you should. You, you should totally cover this. Is this is such a cool um, – this this is actually my favorite lyrical journey on this album, um, which made it a push towards being my favorite. Um, and it, and this is one where I would have loved to hear a Johnny Cash mm. version of this. I wish, you know, as Rick was throwing him all these songs when he was doing the, the, the American albums with him, uh, this would have been a really cool stripped down um, – you know, I, I can just sit and read the lyrics and imagine them in his cadence, uh, his voice. I, I was doing that a couple of times this week, just reading the lyrics. And I would hear him in Johnny Cash's voice, and uh, I think it would be a cool version. 
But yeah. you should do it. That would be really cool. Yeah, this this song ranked super high for me. Also, it ranks super high for me. Also, it's sort of just undeniably good. <laughs> it, the the again the hook on the chorus is the 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 lyrical um the the percussiveness of those lyrics and how and and then the lyrics themselves are just pretty brilliant. Uh, I think I'm surprised this isn't wasn't a single also because um you know it's kind of a proper length that it's sort of a it's kind of a perfect song and it lives in that band world that sort of rollicking uh manly sort of world and I just love it I think it's so amazing that he made this record I think it's bizarre and awesome I couldn't see any label following up your song with this song as a single though exactly it doesn't make any sense like maybe they should have just shelved this record and released it like five years later or something yeah yeah, the, the, when you just read through the the lyrics too, it just makes a nice short story, which is uh, definitely something that I love in a lot of songs. That that feeling, you know, again, that's why I got the Johnny Cash vibe. It just it feels like you're telling me this western tale, uh, this tale of these two men who just won't quite budge and uh, can't can't help but sort of poke at each other, you know. Um, even as it seems they're kind of getting out of their conflict, they just can't get out of their own sort of masculine way and. Uh, let things go and they both end up dead yeah, blind joseph and van bushel yeah and they, they both end up dead because of it it's such a it's such a nice little kind of cautionary tale of exactly what happens when you can't just sort of let your pride go and it's great i love it and you know like i the only other band that really sticks out in my mind that sort of was writing and making songs like this was the band you know like you know maybe they maybe maybe they should have recorded it oh yeah <laughs> you know uh, it's it's pretty cool. Yeah, Elton Elton should have showed up on the last waltz to perform this with him. That would have been awesome. Right? Oh my gosh! I you know, and as far as the production goes on it, um, the as much as we, it's easy to compare this record to the band, but um, you know, the drumming is very clearly not Levon, even though it's kind of got that yeah. laid back. It's all a little tighter. I wonder who drummed on it. Um, that's a great question. I'll, I'll, we'll, we'll introduce the next song and you guys can uh, start talking about it and I'll go, I'll go see if I can find it. Okay. All right. So let's get some scores. So I already threw out, this is my top Katie. This is my nine. And then Jeff. This is my eight. All right. So next song is my father's gun. From this day on until I die, I wear my father's gun. Oh, I love this song. Okay. I love the ballad. I love all ballads in general. But this one, the production of it, how it um, it starts at zero and then it just it's just a giant crescendo. I mean, for six minutes and nineteen no yeah six minutes and nineteen seconds, it's just a crescendo. And I think I think the production of it really draws me in. And then the lyrics, um, you know, it's again this this very 
sort of hyper-masculine old Southern mentality of from this day on, I own my father's gun. And, and, and these, these statements that are so um, romantic, you know, I think the whole song just has this romance about it. And, and it's, you know, I'll just give it away. It's my favorite, favorite song on the record. Cool. Uh, yeah. It, it's, it's interesting to hear this sort of metaphor of like, this is what um yeah, the romanticism of that's the way you describe your father being dead is that now I own his gun. What a what, a, what an interesting uh, descriptive for for how that is, I guess. Um, it's just again the the imagery that's being painted. It's really really evocative of just this landscape that it's easy to see the picture that they're that they're putting out for you. And again, my one thing here, uh, and, and it's it's actually not it's not a complaint. I just would also love to hear an alternate version of even more stripped down, uh, but acoustic guitar version of this. Um, that's, that's kind of where I landed too, is I would love to hear like a sitting on a stool acoustic guitar rather than piano version, not in place of it, but as a, as a companion piece. Um, so, but the Southern imagery, him putting himself in there and telling the story through that, that, um, you know, that narrator's perspective, uh, without having lived it at all, he does, they do a really nice job. He and Bernie do with this, I think. Yeah. I think the, um, you know, the production on the record, uh, does get a little bit redundant. And and that's my biggest complaint about the record because the songwriting is all there. And there was just sort of this, um, a very repetitive use of the same sounds throughout the record. So, and, and maybe that was, that'd be a sequencing thing too, where it was like, if the song before it, uh, or the song before that wasn't such a piano rocker, um, then the, the production maybe wouldn't have hit you that way. Yeah, I agree with that take in terms of the production feeling a little bit repetitive. And then also because I, I'm just such a fan of uh, these sorts of songs being done, uh, you know, in that more maybe Johnny Cash style that some of it felt a tad overproduced, I guess, to me. Um, like there was yeah. too too much keeping me from really, I, I'm reading the lyrics, but I'm not always getting them just from the listen. And when I sit down and read them, that's when I was really, when I'm reading along with listening to the song, that's when I'm really drawn into some of these a little bit heavier. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. You know, Wayne and I were supposed to talk about this, this particular song a few months ago. So we were, we were going to revisit the Elizabethtown soundtrack as part of our Cameron Crow soundtrack month back in March. Didn't happen. We had some guests instead that preempted us recording that particular episode. But this song is really prominent in that movie. Um, and it's a really unforgettable movie. But the the one part of that movie where Orlando Bloom's character is driving his father's ashes across the U.S. and he's listening to this song, among other songs, in the car that was that was a pretty powerful scene that's that's one of the few scenes in that particular movie that actually you know was memorable to to me on a side note there's a funny story with when when i was in houndmouth uh one of the things that we would do is every night uh we would put orlando bloom on our guest list just because <laughs> we would, and then we would walk around the venue and kind of be like did or- is Orlando here yet? And like, just like say things to each other just to like make people think Orlando Bloom was going to show up <laughs> because he's kind of like, just not 
so big that he wouldn't show up, you know, to my show, our show. So it was so funny. It's it's not quite George Clooney, but it's it's like it's like not going to show up. But like people might believe Orlando Bloom is a fan. Right, right. That is amazing. That is the funniest thing. I like that a lot. <laughs> That's what I always think about when I think about Orlando Bloom. Now, yeah, fantastic. All right, so uh, going back to the previous song, so the drummer Roger Pope. So that was that was Elton's main drummer. Okay. Uh, during 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 the during the seventies, um, and and the, from the power of Google, it says he is a drummer's drummer. He also worked with Al Stewart, Harry Nilsson, and Cliff Richard was on most of Elton John's top songs from the seventies, tiny dancer Island yeah. girl. It's, it's a, such a familiar, yeah, the whole, it sounded from, yeah. it sounds familiar to Elton, uh, the drumming style. It's so interesting. Um, I think he probably found his calling that guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You think? I think, yeah. I think he could probably do it for a living. <laughs> yeah. Th- th- there's worse, worse people to have hooked your wagon to, right? Yeah, uh, exactly. <laughs> right. Uh, and it says here that alongside his friends, Keith Moon and Ginger Baker of Cream, he is said to have inspired Animal, the drummer puppet in the orchestra pit for the Muppet Show. So there nice. you go. Uh, let's get back to uh, My Father's Gun. Let's get some scores. So, Katie, you already threw out this is your top that's, score. That's my 10. Yep. And then, Jeff? This is my, my 7. Yep. And I'm matching your 7 as well. All right, let's flip the record over. So this is first song on side two. This is Where To Now, St. Peter. I kind of want to know what he and Bernie were on when they wrote this one, to be honest, uh, to be honest, it was, uh, the lyrics are way out there. Uh, really, really this, this song bounced more around in scores for me than any other song. There's moments where I listen to it. And I'm super, super into it. And then moments where I'm just, I, I'm not sure what's going on. I think in the end, the kind of like wah, 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 guitars, I don't know what that is. That real, like, I don't, yeah. I don't know how to describe that sound, but that, felt like doing an impression of some somebody from the band or something that works a little bit better uh, and they got a little bit too much uh for me uh throughout the song i think um the tempo change kind of threw me as well so in, initially I, I i really loved this or wanted to love it um and uh some of the lyrics I love the the lyric. I may not be a Christian, but I've done all one man can. Um, it's just fascinating. The blue canoe and Merlin's. Uh, yeah, what's uh, a Merlin sleep? In my Merlin sleep, the the lyrics are just really really trippy to me. Um, but I like the I like the uh, faith question. The you know me, Ben. The uh, the what what does it all mean and where am I heading next? Kind of a thing. Yeah. Um, so, so I was definitely drawn into that. And so that, that kind of kept it elevated at some point to get kind of middle of the pack for me. 
I like I like the song. I think it's 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 weird for sure. <laughs> I like weird, and I think the record needed something that was a little weird. Um, and then the wah wah guitar, the wah wah pedal. It was like I think that um, it was an element that I. I welcomed at this point in listening to the record because I was ready to hear something different. And so I think it really helps as, as far as the record goes. Um, and as far as the song goes, yeah, the song's just kind of weird, but I welcomed it. I, I like the weirdness of it too. I, 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 I actually dug that. And the guitars that you're talking about, I think I would have welcomed them and I like them in a lot of other songs and a lot of other things from this era. I just didn't think the execution, it sounded sort of tentative. Like they, I don't know, I, like they were trying to mimic what they had heard or that someone was trying to do something they weren't that comfortable with. So I, I, I see what you mean in terms of welcoming that element in at this point and i would have too just something about them didn't quite they didn't quite come in naturally for me or it didn't feel like someone was committed yeah it sort of felt like they knew that the record needed a different sound <laughs> right 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 I mean, that's kind of that's kind of where it sits it wasn't like yeah. it necessarily serves the song best or this is the right move but it needs to happen um, right. I, i'm feeling that too but I like it, and I think the record needed it. It's not one that I go back and listen to a bunch. So, so based off of that, let's get some scores then. I had a four. Uh, I I added a six. All right, six for me, and I got it as a five. All right. So, moving on to love song. So this is the only song on the record that is not credited to Bernie and Elton. So this was written by Leslie Duncan, who I had to do a little Google search because I, I was not familiar with Leslie Duncan. So Wikipedia says that she's one of the first female singer songwriters. Um, some of her songs, I didn't know them. Everything changes and sing children sing. Anyone familiar with any of those? Nope. Yeah, me neither. Okay. <laughs> um, so she is singing with, with him, with Elton. And I guess she was also a session singer and most notably worked with Dusty Springfield for a number of years in the, uh, the, the late sixties, early seventies. She did join Elton um, for some other vocals for his uh, 1971 record, Madman Across the Water. So there you go. There's your crash course on Leslie Duncan. Interesting. Uh, let's talk about the song. So I wanted to give it, I wanted to give it a, a little bit of a lower score because of the metronome that I heard yeah. here in the background, <laughs> but but because I'm such a sucker for the harmonies, I think that that ended up elevating it a little bit for me. That chorus is just beautiful. Um, so that 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 kind of bumped it up for me a little bit. 
if they could somehow go back on the masters and uh, take out the metronome, I think this would be, uh, I think that this would, this could be a song that Elton could have been known for, but that's just my personal. That's a little lazy, huh? (laughs) Yeah. A little bit, a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Is that a, is that a metronome or is it a click track? What is that? I don't don't think I'm hearing what you're hearing. I want to, I'm going to go back and listen now because, uh, it's in it's in it's in your right headphone if you're listening to it like on a Spotify. I'm listening to it on headphones. That's yeah. Um, I don't know if I've ever listened to that song on headphones, uh, but I do think that the song to me the song is super welcomed. Um, it's I, I really think that this the record needed a different writer on it, and I kind of wish that there was maybe another you know because they like I said this the record gets a little redundant. While the songs are really good, they kind of all they're pretty similar a lot of them and so i wish this rec this song came came around earlier in the sequencing um i think it it would have been really nice little shift maybe instead of the second song you know um i think uh i think this song is gorgeous i think it's beautiful yeah I, i think this one's really beautiful too i really i dig the lyrics and unlike come down in time uh, this was a really nice welcome respite from the Trippier St. Peter. I think coming out of that, this was a nice feel to kind of get to bring that down a little bit. It's not as as big of a jump as Come Down in Time was from from uh, Well Known Gun. So I, I like this one a lot, but I definitely was distracted. I listened to this in headphones uh, several times, and the, that click track in, in your right headphone really throws it for him. Like, I want to listen. Yeah, you'll you'll hear it once you put the headphones on. Absolutely. And I, I think it affected my score for sure. For sure. Oh, that's too bad. Yeah. Well, fair. All right. So uh, I'm giving this an eight. Jeff? I, I give it a four, but I don't feel good about it. <laughs> <laughs> I gave it a five. All right. Let's uh, move on to Amorina. In the cradle of your cabin, my arms around your shoulder. This is one of my favorite songs uh, on the record. I, you know, it's again a ballady kind of situation that I, I'm sort of drawn to. Um, yeah, I, I think I think this is a great song. It fits into the world of the that they've they've set. Um, I have no complaints about this one. Has anyone ever met an Amarina? Nope. A, no, but it's a great name. It's it's cool. It's a cool name. It's his goddaughter's name, apparently. Really. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm really surprised that this didn't like spawn, you know, in the seventies. I there were a lot of kids born in the seventies that were Rhiannons. Really? And Sarah's. Yeah. Um, you know, going back to your t shirt that you're wearing, Jeff. Um, but I don't think this song spawned many Amarinas. I've never met one. Or maybe I, if I have a kid, I'm naming her Amarina. There you go. 
it's a, it's a, it's a cool name. I like it. Um, the fact that it was the name of his goddaughter and then the lusty flower line kind of threw me a little bit, gave me a little of the creeps. I don't know. Um, I like this one more than my score ends up indicating. I, I don't know why it just, I think as I was sequencing my scores, uh, it's not the one that would quickly jump to mind. And so my score seems lower, I think, than what I ended up feeling about the song. Yeah. Yeah, going back to your point for the previous uh, song, Jeff, I don't like my score for this either. So, <laughs> because it's a it's a it's a good song. Yeah, it's it's kind of an undeniably good song. Um, it's, it's, ca- it's catchy too, as you're listening to yeah. it. You know? And and I think that's what really draws me to this record in general. Most of the songs are catchy. Like there's no, you know, and and as far as deep tracks go, with a lot of uh, people's records. Um, you know, like a, like a obscure Bowie record or even, you know, a a lot of people, it's like the songs are interesting, but they're not catchy. And it's fascinating to me that this record wasn't super huge and wasn't super well known, but, um, but all the songs have an undeniable hook to them. Yeah. There was a lot of sing along, either sing along or I'm hearing these songs an hour later as I'm driving in the car in my head, you know, for yeah. an album that has that much of that to have so little of it be known or that people talk about. It is kind of fascinating. And I was just grateful to listen to this, that, uh, that Elton has at least one album with catchy songs. <laughs> uh, that is funny. All right. Let's get some scores. So Katie. Um, hold, shoot, I gotta look it up. Uh, I think I rated it a. Oh, sorry, I got it as a seven. A seven. You have my scores. It was a seven. It is a seven. And then Jeff. Uh, this is a three. Yeah, and wow. I gave. I also gave it a three, but I'm not wow. happy. With, I'm well, not like happy said, with it. Like I said, I I think it's. I like the song more than the score ends up indicating. Honestly, it's just this is what I. Yeah, I hate it. I hate this thing about scoring songs for that reason because it's very tough to to do it but there were just some songs that jumped out ahead of it for me yeah because you're kind of like you're kind of balancing the sequencing and the structure and then all the different parts of the song you know and some yeah, i get it i get it i get why why you you rated it the wrong the wrong number <laughs> uh, all right second to last song this is talking old soldiers Why, hello, say, can I buy you another glass of beer? Well, thanks a lot, that's kind of you. It's nice to know you care. These days, there's so much going on. And since I get the benefit of seeing everybody's scores in advance, um... Yeah, I think we're all kind of in agreement that this is not one of our favorite songs. And look, when I'm listening to this song, especially that beginning, I just want to start going, and you can tell everybody, right? I, I'm waiting for him to 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 go, if I was a sculpture, then again, no. You know, it's yeah. kind of got it's kind of got that feel to it. And I don't know. I I I'm not a big fan of of artists ripping off themselves. And I felt like this was a little bit of ripping off yourself. 
Yeah, it, it again, like this is where I think bringing in another songwriter or bringing in somebody else to sort of tie this album together would have been uh, a really good decision because this is at this point in the record is when I'm like, okay, things are getting too redundant. Um, yeah. When you listen to it as a full record, yeah, I'm, I'm feeling that when you get here as well. Uh, I think it's a kind of a nice song and story. This idea of the two men meeting at a bar and the the one listening to the other story that way. Um, and I like the storyteller stuff. It's a it, it's a it feels like it would fit maybe more as a it feels like a Billy Joel song to me, I guess. Um, mm. But this is another one where I think the story and the underlying lyrics. I'd love to hear. I keep throwing it out, but a Rick Rubin produced like acoustic guitar version of this song instead of the piano and see if it changes what I feel based on the lyrics. Yes. I think I, it feels like this record was so close to just being like phenomenal, you know, with these little minor changes If they had spent like a little bit more time on, on, on thinking these things through like, like the production and, um, and I'm definitely making the assumption that they didn't think them through, but um, <laughs> based on the fact that there's a click track in, in your right ear, I'm thinking that maybe it was kind of a rushed uh, project. Maybe. Well, and it might go yeah. back to the label. It might go back to that idea that maybe they didn't, maybe they didn't put a lot of support even behind the production. They're like, you can do this, but knock it out. Let's get on to the next thing that we're really going to make some money on because yeah. it does like, what you said right there is, is really, I think, kind of profound in, in how I feel about the album is it I think it's really close to being kind of a perfect Western concept album and it misses on about a half a dozen places where oh no it's just it's really good and there's a lot of really good stuff but I think it could have been you know almost quintessential uh, you know like really yeah. really something that everybody does know and talk about um and it, it kind yeah. of gets lost yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. It was all right there. It was all right there just to grab. Agreed. All right, let's get some scores. So I'm giving this a two. Jeff? It's two for me as well. And then Katie? You gave this a four, but then you said, where to now St. Peter was your four. So I'm giving this a three on the spreadsheet. That that works. Yeah, that was a three. So let's wrap this up. This is Burn Down the Mission. The flame torch to their key. Keeping this, I think, from my, one of my lower scores is the ending of the song that kind of escalates everything. I felt like that was uh, a nice way to just kind of wrap everything up uh, for this particular concept album. Other than that, I don't know if I really find a whole lot of things remarkable about this song. It's okay. It's it's not a bad song, but um, I don't know. It it fits for the concept album by itself 
Nah, not sure. I like this song mostly a lot. Um, I think there's a lot of interesting dynamics, uh, key changes. Uh, I love when the guitar kicks in for the first time. I love the story. In the end, I think the utter breakdown into musical theater is kind of, and I, I love musical theater, but those two like musical theater breakdowns is what drops this down the list for me twice. It breaks into complete dance breaks and I can see a whole cast of the musical just before intermission in this like show stopping number. It's a musical called pioneers. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it's, I love the story, but again, this to me is a little overproduced and the overproduced nature of this drives it down quite a bit for me. Um, The funny thing is to bring this full circle, I really dig the Toto cover of this one. Uh, How's that for bringing it all around uh, back to Toto? You must be a stand-up comedian. Yeah. Did you not like it? You don't like the Toto cover? No, no, no. I don't don't love familiar with the total cover but because that's like a comedian thing where you like start start your set with like one thing and you bring it back around and it's a call call back yeah it's called a callback yeah that's what it's called you you nailed it yeah yeah (laughs) um i think there's some really great harmonies and guitar on it um you know on their cover so anyway uh i think it's it's fun but it didn't the musical theater aspect i think kind of killed it for me and the overproduction uh i i think i'm with you on a lot of that the musical theater aspect of it didn't bother me so much um but again you know this is where this record could have been a great record but because all the songs are strong like it's still a strong song um but it's not it's not giving you anything different you know and that's where i love the record i think you know even this song it has it has a pretty strong hook in it and it's like it, it feels pretty good. Uh, and that's why I'm drawn to this record in its entirety, you know, but um, I'm with you, you know, the production, I think the production could have been different on, they should have tried some different things on a lot of these songs. You know, it's like the having an acoustic version of one of these more upbeat songs really could have um, really could have done something because all the songs are there. It's just like a five degrees off. You know? Yeah, I agree. Uh, this is another one where I, I would have rather heard the arrangement that someone like the band would have come up with on this song rather than the, it's just, it's too big or something, I guess. Yeah. It, it got a little theatrical, but I like theatrical. I do too. I go to a lot of musical theater. I really enjoy musical theater. It's just when it's so kind of transparent to me in a song like this, where I feel like this, yeah. I want, I want to listen to the song as a, pop or a rock song and and so when it breaks down in that fashion and i'm looking for the dancers it's I, like where well, what's happening <laughs> right and, and i'm ready for intermission so i can you know uh go go get something to drink oh, or go to the bathroom. Really it just made you want a pepsi that part that's it that's it that's all it made me want to do <laughs> honestly i want to change my score now on this because now that you're bringing up the musical theatrics of it and i hate musical theater <laughs> i I now want to change my score. So thank you, Jeff. <laughs> now I, now I'm feeling really bad about my score for Amarina because I want to now flip flop those two scores. But okay, that, that that's the right thing to say right now because <laughs> yeah. that's a great song. <laughs> I feel I feel like that I feel like that's where we let Katie down the most yeah. uh, out of everything we've done is our score of Amarina. It was. I'm disappointed in myself for letting you down that much, Katie. <laughs> Me, me too. Which is which is why I'm now giving Amarina my four. <laughs> yeah. 
and this and this is now going to be my three. So there you go. For for, uh, for, yeah. for for two weeks, I was like, "How can I score these so Katie will like my scores?" And I blew it on Amarina. <laughs> I want her to be my friend. <laughs> I want I want Katie to think I'm musically smart, uh, but I know I'm going to say other things that will uh, that will tell her that I'm not. We all really agreed on this whole record. It's pretty amazing. actually actually quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah. We all got the same things about it. I like it, but you also got why I'm disappointed in it. Yeah, I, I'm really happy that you picked this because I had a I I had genuinely a lot of fun exploring it, and I spent a ton of time with it. Uh, ben would text me and he'd be like, "I see you on Spotify. You're listening to uh, uh, you're listening to the album. Um, it, it's uh, it, it's a cool album, and uh, I'll, it's an album that I'll now have in my rotation a little bit because I just didn't know it existed before. So I'm, yeah. I'm glad you, you put that one out there. And my score for this one, I don't think I mentioned it, Ben, is a five. That's where this one landed for me. That That's right. I and, didn't get the rest of the scores. So Katie, what, what was your score? It was a three because I found it very redundant for the rest. You know, it was a, it was, it didn't drive it home for me. You know what? Yeah. I'm going to swap the scores too, Ben. I'm, I'm making this my three and I'm putting Amarina at five because I want Katie to like me. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see if that changes anything for our top five. All right. So hold hold on. Let's what do you see. do? You average them? Yes. Okay, cool. No, we didn't save it, Jeff. We didn't. I'm sorry, no. Katie. Yeah, we no. didn't save it. So, so we tried. So so let's talk about our top five based off of the average score. So what do you think our number one was? Son of your um, father. Yeah, it was son of your father. Son of your father. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I'm gonna tell you that we have a three way tie for second. So what do you think? Uh, Country Comfort, uh, Ballad of a Well-Known Gun, and um, uh, My Father's Gun? Yes, you are correct. And then our uh, our fifth, what rounded it out? Where mm-hmm. to now? Love Song? Mm-hmm. Love Song. Okay. Yeah, Love Song, 5.66. It should have been Amarina, but that's all right. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> well, I, I none of that surprises me at all because when I um when this record pops in my brain and I just want to hear a song off of it, it's always one of those songs, you know. Yeah, Amarina just missed out. It was five five point three three, and that was even with uh, Jeff and I uh, adjusting our scores to a piece. <laughs> to a piece. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! All right. Well, did we uh, did we cover it? Did we did we miss anything on this analysis? I don't think so. I think we I think we all we all agree that Amarina should have been higher yeah. up, but that's okay. And that it's a it's a great record. It's a it's a really good record with the that had the potential to be a great record. Yeah, yeah, I agree with all that, uh, and I like how comfortable you are to just continue to dig that night, just like continue to drive it in. Like we all agree that you guys screwed up your scoring on Amarina, but other than that, we agreed on a lot of other stuff. <laughs> Well, we can't agree on everything, you know, no, like no, agreed on this whole record. That would be super boring. Absolutely. Yeah. We almost did. <laughs> well, this has been fun. Thank you both for uh, revisiting. And uh, Katie, great pick. Uh, definitely, definitely turned us on to, you know, something that uh, I I wouldn't have, like I said uh, earlier, that uh, I'm I'm definitely Elton John hits guy. And and I say that with a asterisk because it's like hits before 1985, Elton John yeah. guy, because um, 
I don't ever want to hear can you feel the love tonight ever again. <laughs> you know, I, it was like so funny after I had I had said, well, let's do Tumbleweed Connection and all these other records came to mind. So if you ever want to have me back, I've got little criminals in my brain. Ooh. I've got all these other th- these records that I would love to talk to you guys about. Okay. Yeah. That would be fun. Uh, and I appreciate you grabbing this. I don't know if I would have ever found this without this, without doing this episode, to be honest yeah. with you. Because I, ha- I haven't been spending that time to deep dive into Elton. Yeah. But uh, I, I don't know. I, I haven't seen Rocket Man either, and I'm very impressionable. So once I watch Rocket Man, I might start going through his entire time. <laughs> I'm very so. impressionable. I know. I, I was thinking about that too. I haven't seen that either. And I was like, maybe I should have watched that to like brush up on my Elton information. I intended to and just didn't get to it. Uh, I've been I've been uh, on the road a little bit and and uh, so it's been. been so how much big. Queen did you watch after you watch or uh, listen to after you watched Bohemian Rhapsody? A ton, a ton. That we we did. T- yeah, we did too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm very impressionable. Too. I just I get stuck in these like you know deep dives and. Uh, you did know, you review something, Deep something. Queen? Deep Deep Track Deep Tracks. I did. I did after watching Bohemian Rhapsody. That's I got way more into. Yeah, it. Um, I'd be really curious of of what nuggets you found that maybe I wouldn't be familiar with. Yeah, I'm not even sure either because I, I think I don't. I I just keep listening to it, and I'm not. I'm not. Nothing's still sticking to the bone as much um, as uh, you know all the the stuff that I knew before. But I'm enjoying it, and and it just is different than what I expected. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. I, yeah. I, I I'm the yeah. same way with Queen. I'm very much a commercial like, you know, people have told me what the hits are, and that's what I've mostly listened to yeah. In, yeah. in terms of that. And so, yeah. All right, so Katie, remind all of our listeners where they can find all of your happenings, tour dates, where to where to pick up a, a copy of Magnetic Moves. Okay, so my website is katietupinmusic.com. I am on Instagram. Just my name, Katie Tupin. I'm on Twitter as Katie Tupin. I'm on Facebook as Katie Tupin. Um, what else? My, you know, my tour dates. Uh, we're announcing a new wave of tour dates here coming up very soon, and those dates will be announced on all my social media. And you can get a copy of Magnetic Moves, a physical copy, on my website, and it should be available in record stores fairly soon. But it is not at the moment, so you'll have to order it directly off my website. You can stream it on Spotify and Apple and Pandora and the internet. I'm all over the YouTube. It should be an easy Google search. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right. I haven't checked yet. Do you have, you have a vinyl on your website as I well? I do. Cool. Um, and uh, I, I assume when those dates come out, they, they won't yet have uh, Jeff Johnson's backyard like listed on the dates yet, right? That's not going to be on the tour dates that are... Well, okay. A couple right. details, I think. <laughs> but we'll figure it out you know i did do a whole tour last year that was a house show tour so this is not this is not unfamiliar territory for me so i'd be totally open to to throw in a party and maybe we can make something out of it man i'm totally that'd be very cool um you said you have to hash out details i thought you kind of shot from the hip a little bit but whatever (laughs) you You think i like you don't think i plan anything it's just Uh, just, just, (laughs) in the wind well, well, I should probably ask my wife too. So there is that. I should probably mention it to her because I, I do have a tendency yeah. to spring bring things on her. We're but, uh, play really loud stuff in the backyard, like have a bunch yeah. of people over. Hope that's cool. 
Yeah, that'd be amazing though. It'd be a lot of fun. No, I'm totally into it. There's always ways we can do. I can do. I can do whatever I want. So you know, if we have an <laughs> idea, this is like the beauty of my life these days. I can just do whatever I want to do. Um, so uh, you know, if there's you know, we I'll come up with some sort of idea, you know, for it, you know, like a live stream or do something neat. Yeah, that'd be amazing. Yeah. And and make sure that you tell Christy ahead of time, Jeff, because I'm sure she's going to go. Hey, Jeff, why are these 75 people showing up in right. our backyard? Right. Yeah. Yeah. You might want to think about like a you know a bathroom situation if there's going to be a lot of people over. You know, there's lots of details yeah. to think about. Yeah. 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 Um, and uh, I'd probably figure out the bathrooms before I actually told her. That's just kind of sometimes what I end up doing. <laughs> I, I sometimes sometimes Katie, I follow your mantra too well of like I do what I want. I, I, I'm a little too, and I don't think, and I'm like, oh, uh, by the way, uh, I planned this. Luckily, she's very very sweet and uh, very good natured and understands kind of uh, how chaotic my mind works and and how I like to jump into a lot of things. <laughs> well, we'll make it happen. Your wife's a saint. We've already <laughs> talked about that on a on a previous episode. So her name is Amory. All right. <laughs> <laughs> did you did she listen to this record um no i don't she hasn't yet so. oh but she likes country music that's, that's my Ben's wife that's my oh, wife I'm sorry i'm getting your wives confused um yeah interesting. My, my wife my wife uh has very similar musical taste to me in terms of country it's more like johnny cash country okay. or willie nelson or something like that it's more like old old country or alt uh wilco we're big big wilco fans cool. um so right so, so katie one last question so we ask all of our guests, so who do you know that I don't know that would want to join us on the podcast to revisit one of their favorite records? Oh, probably a lot of people. Uh, Please say Elton John. I don't Please. know Elton John. Okay. You know, I, like my friend, my I'm friends with Dennis Quaid. I think Dennis, like he loves music and, um, and he has a, he has a really cool perspective about the things he loves and, He's interesting. Um, I am friends with, uh, let me think. I don't know. Uh, Marcus King. I was hanging out with Marcus King the other day. Marcus King's amazing. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with him. I'm not. Uh, who else? There's a lot of people. I'll send some people your way. We'll, we'll chat. We'll chat. All right. Yeah. So let's wrap cool. this up. So uh, just as a reminder, so we're on Instagram using the hashtag records revisited podcast a man in the facebook page as well you can review us on apple music uh or apple apple podcasts they keep changing the name on us apple podcasts stitcher Castbox, and you can find us now on iHeartRadio. we're on the iHeartRadio app as well so everyone thank you for listening please go support the arts go to a live show buy a t-shirt of the band buy a record visit a record store and not just on record store day we are records revisited and we are out, out.